Hello and welcome to the Stuck Brain Podcast. All things mental health with a different approach. We look at the research, but we also discuss real life experience. Welcome and thank you for listening to the Stuck Brain Podcast. My name is Eric. I am your host for the day. And today I have a great guest for you. Her name is Megan Monger. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist with a certification in perinatal mental health. She has a passion for working with women before, during, and after pregnancy and adults that are going through life transitions like having a child. If you want more information about Megan, please go to sailawaytherapy.com. Once again, that's sailawaytherapy.com. Before we get started, I would like to take a moment to ask you all, if you're enjoying the Stuck Brain podcast and you're getting a lot out of it, please go to Apple or iTunes and leave a review in the App Store. It really helps out the podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. And without further ado, on to the episode. I have a great guest for you today. Her name is Megan Monger. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Yes. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about perinatal care around mental health. So first off, will you take a few minutes to just kind of tell me a little bit about you and, and what you do? Yeah, well, thanks for having me. And I'm excited to talk about this today. So my name's Megan, and I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and a perinatal mental health um, specialist. And so I do specialize in working with new moms, any anywhere between really infertility to NICU parents to postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. And then, you know, so we really dive into just the stressors and life transitions and the mood and anxiety disorders that can occur after having a new baby. So tell me a little bit about what perinatal mood and anxiety disorder is. What does that look like? Yeah, so perinatal mood and anxiety disorders, which are also called PMADs, they include depression, anxiety, bipolar, psychosis, uh, postpartum OCD, panic disorder, and PTSD. So it's kind of a lump of all those disorders when they occur either perinatally, so during pregnancy or after birth, up to one year. That's the perinatal period? Yeah, so the perinatal period starts from conception until one year after birth. And what's a good resource for this population? So some good resources. There are a ton of books that are very, very helpful. Some of the ones that I love are called To Carry Wonder by Amy C. Parker. She is an RN and a women's health nurse practitioner. She really combines her own journey as well as with science. So it's very relatable. And it also has a lot of good information in there. And then some other ones that I really like are called What About Dad by Luis Resendez. And he is a psychotherapist, but he talks about his own experience with postpartum depression, which postpartum depression in men just isn't talked about as much either. Yeah, I didn't even realize that was a thing. So the 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 father could go through some changes as well, having having the child. Yeah, absolutely. So one in five to seven women experience postpartum depression, and then one in 10 new fathers also can experience postpartum depression. 
It's just not talked about as much. So it might show up in more like there's distance between him and the family. Like you might be staying later at work or trying to be outside of the house. Or there also research has shown that um, fathers will like spank more also if they experience depression as well, which is interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I can see that. I mean, as being a father myself... I think the first year with the first child was the hardest, just adjusting to, you know, a new individual in the house and roles and what do I do? So I could see how they get left to the side because when I think of it, I just think of, you know, the the individual that's having the child. So what are treatment options? Like what would be somebody's first step? Like what would be the symptom that they recognize that they're like, I need to get help? So it depends on the timeline and the intensity. So baby blues are common after giving birth for up to two weeks. So they look very similar to postpartum depression also. So it can be irritability, very, it's difficult bonding with the baby, you have trouble sleeping, things like that. If it extends past two weeks, it's no longer considered the baby blues that's into the spectrum of postpartum depression. So that intensity of not feeling like you want to get up out of bed, feeling like you can't cope, feeling like you're irritable all the time, things like that. So there's a time frame of about two weeks where that that happens. And if it stays longer than two weeks, that's when people should start reaching out. Yeah. So I would say definitely reach out for therapy. Talk to your primary care physician, your OBGYN, a doula or a midwife that you worked with, things like that. Okay. And is the first treatment usually just therapy or do we go straight to medications or what does that look like? So medications are usually used in conjunction with talk therapy. So it's never usually just medications by themselves. And then therapy... You can decide whether or not uh, medication is also necessary. Do they have a pretty good outcome with just therapy? So a lot of it, too, is the transitional aspects, right? There's this new little baby. Everyone's expecting you to be happy. This is so great, right? But realistically, the lack of sleep, some people only get maybe two hours of sleep, maybe four hours of sleep, but it's very inconsistent. And there are so many factors, right, that play into this. Things like if your partner is able to support you through the night, right, emotionally, mentally, like physically. And then there's also if you have other outside support or if you have just any kind of areas of support that's such a huge piece of it, right? And so if that's lacking, then it really does hinder your mental health during that period as well. Okay. That makes sense. Do you find, this is a philosophical question, do you find that there's more postpartum depression in Western societies where there might not be as much support around new mothers? Because if you look at other cultures, there's, you know, grandparents, there's aunts, uncles, and it's like a tribe to raise a child. I'm just going out on a limb here. I, I would think that the, we would have more postpartum here because if you feel, like you said, isolated and you don't have that support, that would definitely affect our mental health. It would just be overwhelming. Yeah. And this is more, you know, my opinion. But I do think that in other cultures where there is more support, I think it is better in regards to the postpartum depression and anxiety numbers 
I think also, though, it all depends, right? Because sometimes they're not allowed to express their feelings as openly, but there is still that, like, physical support that's increased as well. Like, I know in Chinese culture, for example, they sometimes have, like, these birth nannies that will come in, and so they make food, and the mom isn't really supposed to get out of bed much, so there's a lot of recovery involved, but it's it's all really based in kind of that physical aspect and allowing you to bond with the baby as much as possible, which is really cool. I have another question. Does breastfeeding affect this? So individuals that breastfeed, do they have a less chance of getting postpartum depression than bottle-fed parents? Yeah, so with breastfeeding, it can be, it depends, I would say, on the experience with breastfeeding as well. Sometimes complications with breastfeeding can cause a lot of shame in new moms and you can feel like you're not good enough or like something isn't working, something's wrong with you. That's Those are some common thoughts that tend to come up. But dopamine is released when you breastfeed as well, not oxytocin. So it does help to bond with the baby as well. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Absolutely. We are going to talk about the new medication that came out for postpartum yeah. depression. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so its brand name is called Zerzuve or Zoranolone. It is the first oral pill for postpartum depression, which is really exciting. And it also works very quickly and provides rapid relief. So it really showed a reduction in symptoms within three days, which is super quick. And it's taken for about 14 days, and then that's it. So it's just a short period of oral medication, which makes it really just easily accessible, right? Yeah. Especially if you have a new baby, you don't want to be doing all these extra things. So convenience is such a such a high priority. Yeah. Now, does it? Have, I'm assuming it doesn't affect breastfeeding or anything like that? No. So I definitely would double check with your psychiatrist or your provider as well. Since I am a therapist, but I'm not a medical professional. But according to the research, it's safe to take while you're breastfeeding. That is absolutely amazing. Uh, And it's not your all pill. You definitely still want to have it in conjunction with therapy, like talk therapy, in order to help gain support through those times and just gain things in your toolbox. But this is also another, it's a tool in your toolbox that you can use when you're feeling so overwhelmed in those moments. Yeah, to have the therapy, probably start the therapy first and then see if the medication is an option. Add that while you continue therapy throughout the whole time. How long do individuals stay in therapy? I mean, do they stay like months after the child is born, years, or or does it depend? I would say it really depends on the individual and also the therapist. If they look at it as short-term therapy and that's the way that they view it, then they're probably going to use more tangential skills, right, that you can really implement right away. Um, But then there are also therapists who believe in long-term therapy, right? So it's that support plus the skills and maybe working through some of the other things that have been coming up for you. Especially if there is a past of, you know, any types of mental health conditions previously as well. Now, what what about like 
body image, self-esteem, those issues? Because I do hear a lot about that with new moms. How do we handle that? Yeah, well, you can imagine, right? Like your your whole body changes when you are pregnant and then when you give birth. And we live in a society where women are so highly held on our female appearance, right? So that can create a lot of body shame and guilt, especially when you see celebrities and everything kind of bounce back to being, you know, what is considered ideal body image in society. Do you notice if people have struggled with body image their whole life that pregnancy is kind of like a catalyst and makes it worse? Yeah, absolutely. It definitely exacerbates any type of body image issues that we've had previously. So especially if people have had eating disorders in the past as well, I would say you would for sure want to do talk therapy probably even before as you're looking to become pregnant just to make sure that you have that support and guidance while you're going through that so you don't fall back into old patterns. Okay. Well, that leads me into another question. Is there a certain type of person that you would be like, you should start therapy before you get pregnant and start having children? Like, because you've had an eating disorder, you have, you know, this or that. Is there somebody that in your mind you would say they're a great candidate to start therapy before they even have a child? I would recommend everyone, right, to, to have that support in therapy. I think a lot of times people wait until they have a problem instead of having it be preventative. You deserve that support. It's a huge life transition. It impacts your relationship. It impacts your relationship with yourself, with your family. In so many different ways, everything changes. And so I would say really for everyone, but specifically probably people with eating disorders, I would say infertility is a really hard one as well. Because there are just so many emotions that can come up with that and shame and guilt as well. But yeah, those those are the main ones. But I would say yes for everyone. Yeah. As I was asking that, I was kind of just thinking about my own story. I mean, so much changes when you have a child that pretty much I think everybody should go through therapy first. I, I agree with you 100% because it is a life-changing event, basically. Your whole world gets turned upside down. And for some of the some of us, it can be pretty challenging. So th that makes sense that everybody should probably go through it and do some sort of therapy and build that support network ahead of time. Yeah. And I always like to tell people, right, like, how are we supposed to know how to be a great parent? How are we supposed to know how to work through these challenges when we're never given the tools? In school, we're not taught these things. Like in society, we're not taught these things. So how are we supposed to know how to healthily move through these transitions? Yeah. And a lot of things come up. I mean, I have, now that I'm thinking about it, I have a lot of clients that they're like, I never had to deal with this until I had a child. And then all my insecurities came up and all my childhood traumas started surfacing. And then we got to start working through them. Yeah, absolutely. And sexual abuse or any types of abuse are also a risk factor for developing any PMADs. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense to me as well. I've heard that now we're having more inpatient programs around postpartum depression. When it comes to psychosis, there are inpatient units for that. A good thing to talk about as well, I would say, is postpartum OCD versus psychosis as well. So thought versus action, right, is very different. 
So postpartum OCD is when we have those thoughts, oh, no, am I going to kill my baby? Oh, no, am I going to drop my baby? Oh, no, am I going to hurt my baby? So it's those thoughts about are we going to harm our baby? But we're very, it, it leaves a negative taste in our mouth when we think those things, right? And so we're like, no, like I never want that to happen. So it's ego dystonic. And when it's psychosis, we really believe that we're helping the baby or we're helping ourselves. And so we don't see it as a problem. Oh, interesting. Can you give me some actual behaviors that they would be doing that they don't real, realize is a problem? Yeah, sometimes it's even, it can be like religious, right? Like God wants me to kill my baby. God wants me to kill myself and my baby. Things like that. Right. So it's these thoughts that are like, this will help my child. This will help me. Right. So they get into this space where they feel like it's appropriate to do those things. And sometimes they may even think, you know, that their baby is a demon. God is telling me that my baby is a demon and that I need to get rid of it. Okay. And that I'm assuming is a probably a small percentage of the postpartum. It's not a large percentage of people who experience psychosis, but it is, I'm sure people have heard of the recent like news articles that have talked about psychosis in different states, but postpartum mood and anxiety disorders really just don't have enough awareness, right? And so doctors, medical professionals really want to make sure that they're screening very well and for family members, right? Instead of asking them, you know, is everything good? Are you happy? Right? Like, ask them, like, how are things really going? Right? And be able to hold that space for people to to really express those things to you. And then from there, you know, you can seek out resources. Postpartum Support International is a wonderful resource online. They have a crisis number. They have a ton of free support groups for both dads, moms, and family members can refer to them as well. But I highly recommend that also if you're looking for resources. Yeah, and I think groups would be super helpful because then you know I'm not alone. This isn't just me. There's other people going through this, and there's probably some helpfulness in that is knowing that there's multiple people that are going through this at the, at the same time. Absolutely. I always recommend support groups in tandem with talk therapy because so much can be done within talk therapy, but you also need to know that you're not alone in this, that other people are going through this too, and that there is, you know, light at the end of the tunnel. Like you will get better with the right help. Yeah. Yeah. And do you see the success rate? Is it pretty high? What does it look like? Yeah, I would say the success rate within my own clients and what I've seen as well, it is very successful. If you're able, say that you're going through postpartum depression or anxiety or mood and anxiety disorders in general, with the first baby, if it's caught early on, there's a lot more likelihood to to get through it quicker, right? But say that you wait until your second okay. child, that postpartum depression is still going to come up for you. And the reoccurrence is much higher. Okay. And do they stack? So if you don't get treatment on the first child, does the symptoms usually get more intense with the second and the third? I would say it can, yeah. Because realistically, some of these things are environmental factors that we want to have coping skills through and self-care and 
all of that. So if those things are just compounding on each other, you're going to feel worse, right? Each birth. It's not like something magically changes. It just gets worse. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, if you have two kids, you have two times the amount of stress sometimes. Yeah, and it can be chaotic and feel super overwhelming as well. And then a lot of times having children, especially more than one, can really put stressors on the relationship as well. So do you recommend that couples do counseling around the postpartum? Yeah, I do recommend couples. What I usually try to help them with first is having the individual kind of go through therapy and get to a place where they'd be able to to kind of handle that much more because Having them do another task or kind of sometimes they can feel like that's like, oh, I'm failing in another area, right? Or another thing is wrong. So we want to make sure that they're in that place where they can challenge their negative cognitions and be able to to go on that walk and also know that it's not their fault, right? Like postpartum mood and anxiety disorders don't discriminate. Everyone can get them. And you know, there is a way to get better from that. And your relationship can also recover from that. But if you're going through things in your relationship before pregnancy, it's just going to make it worse after, right? Because there's that many more stressors. Yeah. So it makes sense to do some counseling ahead of time with your in your relationship, try to get that solid, and then start thinking about children. Are you finding that people are waiting to have children later on in life? Or do you feel... What does that look like for you? Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I think people are waiting longer to have children. And I'm sure it's because I think our culture allows for that now, especially in California, right? It's a little more liberal. And then also, I mean, when it comes to finances, our economy isn't the best, right? So it takes longer to make enough money to easily support yourself and a child and your partner. It's a lot of stress in that. And then career-wise, right, it just takes longer to get there. So what I've noticed is a lot of early to mid-30s. I see a lot of people having children for the first time even. Okay. And does that affect the, do we know if that affects the postpartum? I don't believe so. I'm not super familiar if there's any research on that, but I don't believe so. There may be increased complications at a certain age, and you may be aware of that too, Mm -hmm. but I do think that with the right support, you know, it would be a similar outcome. So I kind of want to recap a little bit. It sounds like we should, if you're going to have children and you had a lot of stuff going on in the past, or you don't, you should probably start some individual therapy ahead of time to kind of have a solid foundation because things are going to change when you have a child. Mm -hmm. If you're in a rocky relationship, probably do some couple counseling first to get that kind of more stable as well. And then Mm -hmm. reach out early, it sounds like. As soon as you know symptoms or anything of that matter, just reach out and get an opinion at least going, and then start therapy. Yeah, absolutely. So really, I think a huge thing to remember, too, is you deserve that support, right? Like, that's the biggest thing that I try to tell clients. It's not that you are a problem. It's not that you are something to fix, but you deserve that support and to have and to learn those skills, right, that will make this process easier for you. 
and also as a partner, right? So whether it be the mom or father, to really check in with your partner and see how they're doing. If they seem off, ask some questions, right? Like, it's okay not to be okay, too. And we have to create space for that. There just is a lot of stigma, especially when it comes to new parents, that everything will be great and fine and dandy. But, you know, there a lot of people are overlooked within that. And I'm glad you said that. And and I'm hoping part of the whole reason why I created this podcast was to talk about that stigma of of therapy. Like everybody thinks that it means you're broken and then you have to get fixed. And that's not a- actually it. It's we're optimizing. I like the term optimizing. Mm-hmm. Like we're making it better, yeah. you know. But as a society, we just go to, oh, we're broken. I need to be fixed. and And that's not the case with therapy. In fact, most people that do therapy are pretty successful because they're getting that mm-hmm. extra optimization and that extra help that we need. We need as individuals mm-hmm. and as a culture kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. We're just not given the tools, right? Like there is no school that teaches that. And I'm really happy to see more schools teach young children, you know, social emotional learning skills now because it's so, so, so important. And when we can start young, then their outcome in life looks a lot different, right? They don't have to learn it when they're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, right? Like you can learn it from an early age and practice it. I work with some kids who they'll be like, okay, I'm feeling upset right now. I didn't respect their boundaries. So I'm going to go and meditate now, (laughs) like to calm down. So definitely is huge. Yeah. Yeah, that is amazing. One last major question that I want to ask you. What brought you into therapy? What's your story? Yeah, so my story, I kind of stumbled into therapy eventually, (laughs) but I come from a medical background and then I saw that there was such a need for therapy and the emotional support in it all. So I transitioned into the therapy field and I've always worked with children in different settings, whether it be in the hospital or as a nanny. And then I also specialized in therapy with kids and families for a while. And I absolutely loved it, but I found that I was working kind of in an uphill battle, right? Once things are already in place and people, it's a lot harder to change after you start in that direction, but you can. And I saw that there was so much support that was needed and awareness that was needed with mothers and new parents in general. And so I transitioned into the perinatal mental health field to really help support new moms from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of those things that if we can stay on top of it ahead of time, we can really affect the future. Yeah. And a lot of moms have these thoughts of not being good enough, right? Of feeling like you're doing something wrong or you're ruining your child. And the truth is kids don't need perfect parents. They just need good enough. They need someone to love them and to remember, right? When you make a mistake, that's okay. You're modeling for them. So you're also saying, you know what? Sometimes we make mistakes. We don't have to be perfect. And, you know, then you can teach them how to calm down too. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm glad that you said that, that we don't have to be perfect parents. We just have to be good enough. You know, I think that's the mistake that a lot of us get as parents is we want to be this perfect individual for our children so they have the, the best success. But in actuality, we don't need to be perfect. No, just doing your best, you know, living a life. And 
That's kind of how we all are. And we have to show our kids, right? Because if we don't, then they also live with those expectations. That's true. That's a good point. So the more compassionate we are about ourselves and the more we kind of just, you know, make a mistake and kind of roll with it and, oh, I messed up on that one. You know, I'll get better and roll b- positive boundaries that, that could help the child. Absolutely. Yeah. It's funny. Some of the parents are like, man, the kid's coming to me and telling me how to how to use the doping skill. So it works both ways. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I've learned a lot from my children for sure. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Any last minute comments, questions, anything that you wish I would have asked on this podcast or you want to talk about? I would say you really covered most of it and it was a great conversation and thank you for having me on again. I hope that this does help people just bring awareness to it and to seek support when they need that. And if they needed support, where would they reach out? Yeah, so you can email me at Megan at sailawaytherapy.com. M-E-G-A-N is Megan. And then my website, you can also reach out to me on there, which is sailawaytherapy.com. Okay, perfect. And I'll have all this in the show notes for individuals that are curious and need help. So thank you so much. And then I'll see you on the other side. Sounds good. Thank you so much again, Eric. Once again, thank you for listening to our podcast. And those of you that have taken time to leave reviews and contact us through Instagram, thank you. You can see the show notes at stuckbrainpodcast.com. You can also visit us on Instagram at stuckbrainpodcast, and you can leave what topics you want to hear next.